Welcome to Tales from the Dance Floor, a podcast exploring the lives and times of people from all walks of life who follow their passions and make careers out of DJing, producing, parties, dance culture, and the music industry. I'm Phil Morse from Digital DJ Tips. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Aston Harvey, who, Aston Freestylers, a lot of people won't know what I just said. I do. You were absolute <laughs> heroes to me back in the day. Uh, and we'll explain, I'll explain why in a minute. So you have had a long career in music and you kind of came through the UK, the uprising of house music and breakbeat and everything that happened in the early 90s. And you're still here. So welcome. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for having me on the show today. And uh, yeah, I'm still here, soldiering on, as they say. <laughs> it's a story of longevity, if nothing, if nothing else. Uh, but of course, there is a lot else. So I'm looking forward to yeah. getting stuck in, it's stuck bit, into it with yeah. you. It's a bit like, you know, like some people go on the beach and they sit in the sun for like an hour and they go bright red. Yeah. Yeah. You want to go slower. The slower they go, the, 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 it might take a bit longer to get brown or tanned. And, but you'll get there eventually. So you deliberately had this kind of slow burn, <laughs> slow right. burn approach to it wasn't, a career it wasn't in music. The, it wasn't the plan, but it's just worked <laughs> out that way. Well, anyway, let's talk about what's happened. So, so as I kind of said at the beginning, mm. um, way back in the, in the mists of time before people weren't allowed to smoke on dance floors and before yeah. mobile phones and when everyone, everyone was playing records, not MP3s, mm, mm. Uh, the, the whole the whole dance music scene exploded in the UK and every city had its take on it. And mm. London, where you're from, was, mm. was um, obviously London had, had everything. Every, everywhere was into everything, but Breakbeat came out of London and you were one of the first Breakbeat artists mm. Mm. Um, and you smashed it. And, and as I mentioned earlier, you, were, uh, you founded a, a group called the Freestylers and you turned into a group. There were loads of you at one point, I seem to recall. <laughs> Uh, but but way back at the very very beginning, mm. way back when when everything I just described was kicking off, mm. what were you doing? How old were you before you started making music and DJing and all that stuff? How old were you? What 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 was going on? Okay, so probably up until about the age of like thirteen, I wasn't really I wasn't really into music. I guess the first introduction to music is from your parents. Now, my mum was a bit cooler than my dad. My dad was like really into his rock and roll. Um, but my mum, I remember, had like uh, a Stevie Wonder album, um, the one with the orange cover. Is it uh, something the, in the key? Something in the key? I can't music remember. Music in the, yeah, the yeah, key of life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music in the key of life. And then she had a Bob Marley legend, uh, album, Legend. And then I remember, I think it was either my mum or dad had an album, Stars on 45, the disco. Oh, I remember that one. It was, it was yeah. It every- was quite cool, you know, and he... <laughs> I th- I every 20 like seconds, it. every 20 seconds, there was another disco chat, That's wasn't correct. there? Yeah, and yeah, all yeah. made by session musicians. That's, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was right. And I was kind of, but I still hadn't found anything. And when I was at school, because I'm um, of that age, I guess, like early 80s uh, was like the new romantic thing. And I just didn't like it. I, I, I didn't like the look of what people were wearing. It just looked weird to me. Um, and then I remember coming home from school because I used to board at my school. Um, although I was down the road from where I lived, so it wasn't far. I remember going, uh, like coming home for like a, you know, holidays and these friends of mine were playing this music and doing some weird dancing in the, in the front of, uh, of their house. And I went down to check it out and I, it just blew my mind. And then I just, I just became an addict for this kind of music and the whole dancing. I didn't really know what it was 
at first, but obviously then discovered, you know, it was like the whole the breakdancing b-boy culture and I, I really really got into the music and finding out about the whole if there were more tracks because the first track I think I heard was uh, Renegades of Funk which was Africa Van Barton the Soul Sun mm-hmm. Force obviously they did Planet I think I heard that I definitely heard that before Planet Rock but Planet Rock was I think before that and a more famous record but obviously I discovered that through listening to this and it just kind of went snowballed from there. I got really into the music. And then uh, what happened was when I was at school, I was like so obsessed by the music. Everyone knew me as the music man. And uh, I, I, someone said, oh, why don't we do like some discos to, all, to get some extra pocket money? Um, and I still, I think I was probably about 15 at the time. I still... I might have started buying records then, but not really. I was probably more uh, listening to pirate radio at that time. And and I think on Capital Radio, they had like a hip-hop show. Um, and anyway, it kind of snowballed from there. I didn't I didn't end up doing discos. What I did, though, is I went to this rec- music, uh, you know, music equipment shop. And they show, I said, you know, I want to, de- to learn to DJ, blah, blah, blah. And all I saw was these... Uh, you know, like the Citronic decks with the, you know, with the telephone for uh, to queue up the records and all that. I said, no, I want the decks I've seen on top of the pops these hip hop guys use. And they said, oh, you want these? And they were like the back at the shop, and they were like, it's like you could buy a whole thing for two hundred quid, and this was like two hundred and fifty pound for one turntable. It was just like seen most, it, like most expensive thing ever. Anyway, subsequently, I got a summer job when I was about 16, and my parents didn't buy me a birthday present that year, and somehow I ended up, by the middle of the year, when I was 16, I had two Technics and a mixer in my bedroom. It was just like, oh, my God, thanks. Wow, you managed managed that at 16 years old. uh, I think I was about 26 when I managed that one. And at the time, I and then I started going crazy with buying records, and... um, I just go, used to go on, oh, I wasn't, obviously wasn't driving, get on the bus and go to, so the funny enough, the first, well, the first record shop I went to was Groove Records on Carnaby, um, sorry, uh, Greek Street in Soho. And then there was this other shop they used to advertise on the Pirate Station, Spin-Offs, which funny enough, because it was on Fulham Palace Road, I think the first time I ever went there, I went to actually Fulham Broadway, thinking it was there, because, you know, there was no there was no maps on your phone or anything, I didn't even have a phone, you know. <laughs> Uh, and anyway, subsequently started going. So between Groove Records and spin-offs, I started going there and buying all the records, buying all those ultimate breaks and beats. And because I'd hear them in the hip hop and re- the records and thinking, oh, what's that? Where's that come from? Where, what, you know, what's this? And then discovering the one thing about all this music, once you listen, you're inspired by one record, you kind of learn. I always thought like, the process of buying the, the tracks was like you were learning something as well because you hear the record you have like a beat or a stab or a musical riff that was taken from somewhere and then you dis- then you discover oh this record you know the, the artist that originally did it has done some other tunes similar but might might have not been used or they've been using other people's records so it's like a uh, yeah like a musical history uh, of, of back then really not so much anymore um and um kind of went from there so obviously i started buying initially was like uh b-boy electro and early hip-hop and then round about it was about 86 i remember being in groove records and this record came on 
Jack the Groove. And it just like blew my mind. What is this? It's like, I don't know. It's Although it was kind of like house, it seemed to have like a hip hop mentality for some reason or other. I don't know why. Uh, and just kind of just snowballed from there. And then I guess that's why, uh, uh, you know, the kind of early days of rave were kind of born out of that. It was like the, the, the inspiration of the hip hop, B-boy, electro, and this early sound of Chicago house or wherever it was coming from kind of, you know, made up what became UK rave, I guess, in the beginning. And then obviously, then yeah, and then obviously you had like Acid House, but I was buying all this music and uh, and it was just, uh, just you know, it was, it was uh, you know, and then taking it home, le- mixing it up in my bedroom. Um, I didn't get actually into production until about uh, 88 but I was buying these records, like all your early Todd Terry records that were like really kind of. Well, they had a hip hop feel, didn't they? They had a real mashup of hip hop. and. and So so you, how, I mean, how old were you at this point? Were you between 16, 17? So you'd got fully into it at this point. Did you, was there any college after school or were you like, no, No, that's it. So, so what I did was um, I had some friends of mine. We We were in a rap crew and I was like the DJ and they'd come over to my house um, this was probably like more when I was 17, 18, they'd come over to my house and I'd take like, you know, the, the two, I used to buy two copies of those ultimate breaks and beats or two copies of anything that I could scratch, you know, like, and trying to imitate what I was hearing, trying to copy. So we'd record, I'd be scratching the beat and they'd record the raps. And then subsequently a friend of mine at school wanted to have, uh, learn to DJ and he took me along to this studio because he wanted me to see it in uh, South East London, Brockley, which turned out to be Double Trouble, Double Trouble in the Rebel MC studio. And I was, I'd never been to a studio before, and it was only a small room in, in a house, but it had all the equipment. I was just blown away. I was thinking, yeah, I need to come here and put these ideas down, what we're doing in my bedroom, in this bedroom. <laughs> So he was going mm-hmm. there doing the mixing lessons and I said to my friends, come on, I found this studio, let's put some cash in and we'll go and record what we're doing. And that's how whole, the whole production and, and, and got it, I got into it. So we started going there as a client and using this studio, didn't really know what we were doing, but I was saying to, you know, the, the engineer there, you know, can you sample this? Can you record this? Blah, blah, blah. And I thought, I want to learn how to do that myself. I don't want to ask someone. I just thought, you know, it's like, asking someone to change a gear in the car for you, you know? I want to do it myself, and then I can change the gear. I don't have to worry. I can experiment, blah, blah, blah. Subsequently, they offered me a job at the studio because uh, I got friendly with them. We were going to there quite regularly, and then it turns out I knew one of the guys is was dating someone. I knew her brother, and I don't know. I guess we bonded better. <laughs> and, uh, and it all just sort of went from there, really. And at the time, that studio, um, it was called Noisegate Studios, like loads of early pioneers, uh, dynamic governors. That's how where I met the Blaps Posse sort of influence from meeting Jason and Dave. Uh, SL2 used to use the place. Uh, there was a couple of DJs from Hijack. Um, some of the early tunes that were came out on Suburban Bass they were coming to the studio and uh, artists were coming there and it kind of just went from there. And they went on, obviously had their hits and I was left in charge of the studio and I kind of 
had to learn quickly how to put the tracks together because I was engineering for other clients that were coming to the studio as well as doing my bits. So by me able to work on my bits kind of helped when other people would come to the studio and say, oh, I want to put this here, I want to put that there and blah, blah, blah. But I never went to any music college. I think the only time, I think the only, you know, it's not like nowadays someone can just look on YouTube, that was, you know, it didn't look, it exist. The only way of getting, I think, into the whole production side of thing on music as far as, because it was so early on in the days of dance music was either going to, uh, I think SAE existed then, you know, the School of Sound and Audio Engineering, yeah. but that was like a whole course and I think it would just cover a load of, you know, maybe stuff you didn't really want to cover or becoming a T-boy in a big proper studio. But um, I don't know, I felt fortunate that I was working in this studio, learning a trade. Uh, I think this... I was so, like, but were you a musician? Could you play anything? Yeah, yeah, I could. I Basically, I, the weird thing was I learned piano from the age of like, I think my parents took me for piano lessons when I was eight years old. They even, I even had a piano, like an upright piano in my house. Uh, but the thing was, I was, because they were both, None of my family are remotely musical, and my parents certainly want. They just wanted me to play piano. Mm. And say, oh, look at their son, you know, and they had their fa- their friends come over. He's can play piano, blah blah. blah I guess, um, but I never, I never really progressed at it. And when I was going to school every year, I had different teachers, and I don't know. I just didn't really like it. I could never read the music. But what I was good at was making up my own. I'd sit there and make up my own tunes, you know, because it was yeah. the, the, kind of the lazy way. I just didn't learn the to read music. I mean, reading music is like total. You know, and I think yeah. I think that that exposure to a musical instrument is enough if you've got it in you, right? That is yes. enough to yeah. because it breaks down the barrier of thinking. Look, if I want to do this, there's nothing going to stop me. And I think some people think mm. if they haven't had that exposure, it, it's not about reading music or learning all the chords. It's about mm that very basic knowledge right i think so yeah totally i'd have i, I mean I, you know obviously and as an adult now i would love to have played guitar or i mean i think i took up drums for about five minutes but uh and i wish i did play piano better but i play piano better now than i've ever played and i understood more you know so the, the basics of what i did learn i mean i did do this for eight years learning piano but mm. i felt like i never progressed in it and as i said in my school, because I went to a nice school, we had all these like music rooms, and I used to go in there and just make up my own tunes rather than try and sit there going, you know, reading. I was yeah, just useless. Yeah. But again, I think you need to be with any, you know, even less, you need to be inspired. And it's easier if you're inspired by someone or something rather than. Uh, you know, just being left to your own devices sometimes. Yes, it's nice to discover, but uh, just but you have to be inspired. Someone needs to give you a spark. And yeah, I, you got this spark in someone's living room, hearing this new music and watching yeah, this new. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And most people, it's, most people walk into a club and it blows them away. Or, but in your in your instance, this seems to be a whole rising scene based around people's houses, right? Yeah, Studios yeah, in houses. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, you know, even from, you know, saying like early from from the, the break, you know, like from 84, the music, I was listening to the front of someone's house. It wasn't in a club, um, you know, and I didn't drive. It's not like I, I could listen in my car to the music. It was just like totally going around someone's house or I remember rushing home. I used to listen to, I think the first Pirate Station probably were sort of like Kiss, 
or L L W R. I used to rush. I used to love Tim Westwood before he was like totally crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, he used to be on this pirate station L W R before he went on to Kiss, and he'd play all this mind blowing music. I would sit there and I'd be like, oh my gosh. I mean, I remember when I I was because I used to as I said I used to board at school, and I remember they were saying. Uh, they're going to play this new Public Enemy record, uh, Rebel Without a Pause, and they were hyping it up on the radio. And I, I sat there. I think I had it on recorded, you know, because obviously it's not like, you know, I think I recorded it on cassette. And we just kept on rewinding this track. And it was just like, I used to have my, my mouth was open, like the, the with the, the magic of the music, of like what I just heard. I don't get that anymore, unfortunately, from music. I don't know if it's my age or I think it's just the nature of music now. It's just like, it's you know music doesn't blow my my mind away as much as it used to like everything used to be like amazing <laughs> well i think that comes from that's because everything is amazing because you've not heard anything like it before that's is it, it. There's, yeah, there's, no, yeah. there's no references you can't refer to that's oh it. that's yeah, a bit yeah, like that so. or, yeah yeah that's I see, I see i see that's come round again or whatever yeah exactly there was, um, no, there was no references so like and then you know uh, <clears throat> when i was working when I said I got this job working in the studio, when I was working uh, with these guys, Dynamic Governors, who I went on, like my first production artist name was Blaps, who Jason from Dynamic Governors started off. When 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 I heard, heard his first tunes, they blew me. I'd never heard anything like it. It was like hip-hop and house and scratching, but sped up. And it was just like, what the heck? That is just insane, you know? And I wanted, I wanted to do that. So, I wanted to Aston, some this of that, is a club so, scene. Yeah. You know, this this scene ended up being in the club certainly by the mm. by the break of the nineties, and and mm. you mm. obviously would have would have gone yeah, with yeah. it to the clubs. So, at what point um, mm. did this become money making serious venture? And the, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. How did how did that step? How did that step? Happen? I started doing programming for uh, which meant like basically using the samplers and keyboards and putting the stuff together for various artists but i worked with one in particular which was rebel mc and at the time he was doing an album and so he'd say can we sample this and i'd put the samples together in the sampler and then put it up on the keyboard and and put it all in tune and and so on and so forth and we'd work in a big studio he was on a, a label that had a uh, you know decent budget so i was getting paid per day for doing programming so um yeah, so that's kind of my first sort of proper money was doing the programming. Uh, really, I think I was earning like even back then I was like earning like about 150 grand a day, which was pretty good money. Yeah, re- definitely. So your route into being an, yeah. a, an artist in your own right was basically through being an engineer for other artists, and that was your main income. Was that for a yeah. while? At what point? What point did the, uh, did the the money for your own stuff start to kick in over, over and above? Well, I, I was. Yeah, I mean, I was I was doing it. This so I was doing I was doing that. It was it was I was doing a combination of my own art, uh, uh, yeah. being my own artist. So the first artist I was saying yeah. was Blatt's Posse, and then after Blatt's Posse, I think I started working with DJ Rap. So it was DJ Rap and Aston, and we got signed to Suburban Base Records, uh, and that lasted for a few releases. And then, oh yeah, then I started doing this thing called Uno Cleo, which was I met this guy. I used to go to this record shop called City Sounds. There was a guy, Paul Woods, that used to work there. And he was friends with this other guy called Gareth. <laughs> and then they wanted to do this project and I helped them put it together. It became Uno Clear. And, and then we started just doing loads of like these big R&B artists into house. 
the first track we did was like, it was really mad. We did this uh, Mary J. Blige reminisce and it like became a chart hit off our remix. Although we didn't like, we were paid like a small mm. fee to do it. And then eventually Paul left, but we were like, ended up doing, I was doing, I did a couple of Mary J, but I even ended up doing like a Michael Jackson remix. Loads of like these big middle, middle, middle of the nineties R and B acts. We were just turning into. So you were like, you were like, you were like the British David Morales, just taking something that was a bit not right. And they're giving it that sprinkle of houseness to to make it work. Just making it, yeah. Making like class. It wasn't like a lot of it was like a very classy soulful yeah. house because obviously R&B's but you were a rave soulful. artist so you were you you, you had you, had, you had a much bigger <laughs> you had a much broader handle on what was going on you know yeah, yeah that's funny enough I always went I always wanted to make it all hardcore <laughs> well listen <laughs> I like I had hard bits but yeah so but uh, so yeah so I was making I was making money from yeah. these remixes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. the, my, question, my question is, at what point, or, or has it never happened? You know, have you always been dabbling in both worlds, doing some commercial stuff and also what you want to do? Has, have they always been side by side? Uh, no, that, 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 was the, that was the only commercial sort of, uh, it, we just fell into it. We were just, because I said, we did this, I think Gareth knew someone at Sony or one of these labels and we just ended up doing this Mary J. Blige thing. And obviously, you know, back then you did one remix that was popular, all the record companies yeah, come yeah. to you. So it was a bit... So a bit tell me about that. Freestylers. When did Freestylers yeah. kick off and become... So, right. So so Freestylers... Uh, <clears throat> so I was working with this friend of mine, Andrew, best mate of mine, Andrew, and we got signed to Fresh Records. We did this release because Fresh Records had released Strikes Record, You Sure Do. So back then, I don't, you know, nowadays it's not, I don't feel it's as, as the same, but you know, it, when you were releasing all the vinyl or back in the night, everyone, you know, you, 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 you pick a label, you I want to be yeah. on that label. That label is the sound for me. So we started doing the, so yeah. So we liked this record label fresh, sent off a couple of demos. They really liked it, picked us up and, um, they had, we didn't actually have any studios at the time our own setup, uh, but they built like a, a lovely operation that was in West London off on Kensal road and had these two studios. So we, we used this small, started using this small programming suite and Matt and Andy who were strike were working in the big studio doing more strike stuff. And, you know, obviously being fellow label artists we, we would end up talking we ended up talking about like matt was really into what i did as blaps and rap and or congo natty when i was you know so he was really into that and he said uh oh we should try and make a track together and we, we he had this idea to do something and subsequently we made this track called um drop the boom I mean, it was just like a load of samples mashed together, but it wasn't house. It was like, you know, off, you know, a kind of blueprints of what of the music that inspired me to want to make music in the first place. And uh, so we made that and then we put that on a, a white label and it did all right. And then we started doing some more because we had, we liked the vibe of the music mm. we were making and um, we seemed to work well. And it was kind of going back to like, you know, loved the whole sample, the ethos of sampling, you know, from our hip hop, from the hip hop mentality. And then, <clears throat> then we did uh, an EP that was like a, funny enough, it was a remix of Drop the Boom. And we did this track called Don't Stop that was kind of used the, the same beat, but 
different music. And um, yeah, then we did that. And that got a lot of interest, especially in the US. Um, and then we started doing like, I think then we, then we did this EP. Then we started doing like more, less electric, because that was quite electro Then we started doing more kind of ravey, reggae sort of stuff. And anyway, they ended up making B-Boy Stance. And I had the backing track. And I'd worked with Tenafly from working with Rebel MC from back in the day. And I said, oh, he'd be perfect for this. I don't know what he's going to do. But, and it kind of, and that's where kind of the success sort of, we, we stepped up the ladder once we did B-Boy Stance, you know, and a lot more people, you know, had a chart hit with that. But it wasn't, you know, it didn't get out of the, it wasn't intended mm. to be. You just want, as, as we normally make music, we make music that, that excites us and was exciting to make in the studio. You know, you don't know unless you're calculated about what, you, you, what you're trying to do. But, uh, yeah, and it went from there. So I think that was on an EP. Funny enough, on that EP, so it had B-Boy, so we released this EP that had B-Boy start with the band Oasis version on there, which is the, uh, I don't know if you knew about, that basically Tenafly and a lot of reggae records, they take the melodies from popular records but change yeah. the lyrics. So we had the chorus that had the melody from the verse of Wonderwall. <laughs> I think Oasis must have heard or we tried to clear it. They wouldn't let us use it. So that kind of got the hype. And I think that's kind of got the, you know, we were this young group up and coming and Oasis were this master group and they wouldn't let us use it. Even though we were inspired, it was like a, you know. Funnily nice enough, I was at a Liam Gallagher concert uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, right. so he was doing all yeah, the old right. Oasis songs. Of course he was. But, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, okay. So uh, and were you called freestylers at this point? Yeah, so this is yeah, the first tracks, wasn't it, um, for Freestyle? Yeah, and, 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 the, and on the same EP, we had this, we did a track that was called Feel the Panic, which had uh, the Walk This Way riff, and they <laughs> wouldn't let us use it. So, so it subsequently, I think, it went on to be like worth a lot of money like to collectors, this yeah. EP that had these two band records. But yeah, so, so the, but the first time we did free, the first ever freestyles records, I think it was released around about the end of 90, was it 96 or we, we got going. So yeah. So, but the freestyles thing really sort of kicked off around about 96. Yeah. And I, I remember that because you were on Fre Freskanova records, weren't you? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that was right, an option yeah. fresh, right? I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, so, so, so yeah. So I'm getting back to, so, um, and at the time, you know, said so we were both signed to, well, we were signed to this label, Fresh Records, but they wanted to set up like another label to uh, put all different type of music on. So they came up with this label, Frescanova, and subsequently that's how Frescanova began. And it was like a hotbed for a lot of creative people releasing non house you know non sort of related house music maybe someone was inspired had the energy of house but but was more like inspired by the breaks and the raves and yeah because house kind of split and, didn't it you got it yeah. split in a few directions and in a yeah. few areas and actually this is where i'm gonna i'm gonna um, throw a curveball mm -hmm. in and, and let you know about something because i used to run a club until the mid 2000s called tangled in manchester mm -hmm. and i know you played there 20 you you played, oh, it, you played right, with, yeah, with yeah, Kobe yeah, and Steve, yeah. my, my good friends from back then, only last year yeah, yeah, um, yeah. at their 25th anniversary. But they always had, and even when you played there a year ago, 
at their reunion, they always had, we always had a, a 4-4 room and a breakbeat room. Uh, and, and it kind of went yeah, that yeah, way. And yeah. we, we, we said, well, we don't want to be one or the other. We're just going to do both. Um, mm. And mm. Um, there was an explosion, wasn't there, in the UK around the mid to late 90s. Yeah, it's, and it got, yeah. it got labeled Big Beat. Um, and That's it was correct, kind of the yeah. kind of boozy, literally big beats, big bass lines, party, Fat Boy Slim was kind of riding this, this thing as well. And you were mm, part mm, of that. Mm, mm. And it kind of, it burned yeah. brightly, but not for very long, right? It kind of crashed down quite quickly. That's so tell correct, us about yeah. those days. I, I think that basically um, with like, yeah, obviously with Norman's thing, he was like sampling like different stuff. Like the freestyles are more, I hate using the word, but more urban and uh, maybe a bit more, although it was fun, it was a bit more serious than maybe what Fatboy yeah. Slim was making. And, uh, and, and, and we were all lumbered into that sort of, big beat scene but it was totally the music was party it was very happy it was very upbeat and it was good sort of banging club stuff um i think like any fad unfortunately i think what happens is journalists or you know or mag whatever jump onto it and it lasts for it's like a trend um and for five minutes it was popular and then it's sort of you know everyone thought oh, i don't want to do this anymore um and then maybe another scene is born out of that scene i guess um obviously norman went on to even bigger and better things with his sort of well you know he's like now a house artist i guess and unfortunately i think you know how the four four way has always been more of the more money way so if you're going that way rather than for the love of it then uh then uh you know then that that would be the way forward i mean obviously someone like the chemical brothers or uh, you know, they've always been inspired by that. Well, their stuff's always been a bit more indie than just straight up how, you know, they're being really, really creative with their music. And some of it is down tempo, you know, they do use more beaty stuff, broken beat stuff and sort of how stuff. Prodigy is probably like the biggest break me artist mm. ever. Um, but people just think of them as the prodigy. They don't look at it as a scene and, somehow we were just part of this scene even though our music was a bit different and i think the biggest thing was looking back to it the music itself i know you had a few like like maybe a steve lamack and an annie nightingale and annie um so, uh, so Mar uh, was marianne hobbs used to support it it the music itself was never really supported much on radio and I think if you're living not in London and in other places, a lot of music you get is through the radio. And um, I think that was a massive uh, blip in the whole scene, that it wasn't really supported by radio enough compared to other forms of music like, you know, jungle music or, you know, house underground house music. Um on pirate stations, obviously, uh, it's always been either, you know, the UK sound has always been either like from from like rave to jungle or hardcore and UK garage. Breakbeat was never even, never even had like an underground uh, pirate station following mm. as such. So I think that affected it as well. I'd say that's definitely. A but big I mean, it was a, it was quite a wave. You were you you got on top of the pops, and for mm. people who aren't British, top of the pops yeah. was the yeah. Thursday yeah. night, I think, show that you had you yeah, had to get on. Like, yeah, you had I to remember, get on it. Yeah. Um, it was it, you'd arrived. 
that was, yeah, that was it. Like, if you, if you got on top of the pops, yeah, I've yeah, made and it. This was, was, this was a national <laughs> program. Everyone watched it from grandmas yeah. to toddlers. And, you know, it, 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 yeah. it, I still harbor ambitions to get on top of the pops, even though it ended 15 <laughs> years ago. But, but, but funny enough, even, even when we did that, I, I, cause even as a kid, I thought, right, if I, well, if we got it, I'm not doing it like miming. I don't want to stand there like an idiot and pretend to mime. I had to do it. And we, we properly record the performance was a live, performance of b-boy stance on top of the pops so the musicians were playing the parts obviously had some of the sample you know basically yeah. it was like doing a freestyle yeah. show and then we had break dancers and it, it, you know and it added you know a kind of nailed home something that was more real than just you know what i mean than, than, than pretend so yeah but it was just like a dream but it, it wasn't only that was it you, you played to thirty thousand people at glastonbury you toured with the Talk with Lenny yeah. Kravitz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's the America thing kicking in and helping you. Um, you, you did a Radio 1 mm-hmm. Essential Mix, I remember. Didn't you remix Africa Bambata as well at some point, who was one of your heroes right from the beginning? Uh, well, uh, no. What we did was, <clears throat> so another inspiration, who I'd never thought, I'd, you know, was this guy, producer Arthur Baker. And Arthur Baker was, um, was the, um, probably the, well, made some of the greatest music. I, I, you know, from all the uh, African Mambata and Soul Sonic Four stuff, all the uh, lots of early Tommy Boy productions were all Arthur Baker and his crew. And uh, we, he wanted us to remix Breaker's Revenge, which was his track from the movie. Um, oh, what's it called now? Uh, Beach Street. <laughs> and you know, that was like a, a, a mad. You know, I loved that track, and he, you know, gave us all the parts, and we remixed it for him, and subsequently became you know friends wow. through music and like yeah i'd never yeah i mean you know you never think you you know you you meet someone that inspired you to make music so uh so that was that no i got uh oh no funny i know a funny story i'll tell you a funny story about africa Mambar on the soul Sonic, well africa Mambar anyway so like matt knew this person that owned a bar down portobello road and he did like uh, I think an, either an opening party or some event at his bar down Portobello Road. The, and Matt, in his drunken state, by accident, took Africa Bambata's records <laughs> home with him. So he ended up back with like three boxes at home instead of two boxes, right? <laughs> but he thought they were his records. Anyway, subsequently, he got a call from Africa Bambata saying, yeah, man, you got my records. I need to come and get them. So apparently he went around to it and he was living at home. So this Africa Bambata turned up at his <laughs> mum's house as some, some blacked out limo or something like that. <laughs> got these records yeah that was the only time i think i never met oh, that's awesome yeah. so listen listen yeah. we could yeah. literally talk for hours and, and I'd, love, I'd love to yeah, but there's yeah. some things yeah, i yeah. want to cover that um that i think are key okay. to your story because this scene was as mm-hmm. i said it's short uh, it, it was kind of burned out mm-hmm. pretty quickly but here we are talking 20 yeah. years later and you're still doing mm. it over that time. You've over the whole period, you've kind of made five albums. Mm. Um, I live mm, in mm, Gibraltar, where Digital DJ Tips is based. We're just okay. over the border from Spain. You're you're still breakbeat, yeah, no. still big in Spain. There's still pockets. It's it's yeah, it's it's mass in southern Spain. It's like the mecca yeah. of breakbeat. I don't know. They they, they embraced it like no. I, I used to, but also. Well, Australia embraced it, but these guys embraced it a lot longer. Australia, (laughs) Portugal, there are still pockets of breakbeat happening. And you, Mm -hmm. you see, what Mm -hmm. you make me think of is labels like Defected 
um, who've stuck mm-hmm. to their guns and done what they love mm. and done what they mm. always wanted to do. And you've already said it before. You've already mm. said it in this conversation. Come back to come, the whole yeah, point yeah, of freestyle. Yeah, is, yeah. Or, uh, even at that point, you're coming back to the sound that you originally loved. And you you stuck with That's it. it. You stuck with yeah. it. And you're still here. So I want you to share something about mm. longevity. I want you to share okay. something about sticking with what you love yeah. um, and, and w- the pluses and minuses of that in your, in your career. Mm. I, I think... Uh, you know, people always, because obviously we had commercial success with push-ups. So like my friends keep on saying, oh, why don't you just do more? I say, it's not as easy as that. It's just like, it happened. I'm not, when it comes to my music, me personally, I'm not calculated as in like, I don't think, oh, this has to go in the charts. It's not, I'm not a machine. I've always made music that excites me. If it, I'm hoping that it will excite someone else. You know, it's like when you're DJing, when you DJ, if you have a certain style, you want to kind of portray your love of the music and hoping the crowd will like what you're playing. But if you believe in it enough, people, you know, people will enjoy it. You know, um, I like, you know, personally, I like melody and I like, like energy. So I think somewhere along the line, people would be into it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, when the big beat scene died down, um, we kept on going. We were working on a on a new album. It kind of subsequently turned into this breakbeat scene. So everyone that was uh, most majority of the artists that were sort of known as big beat, they probably started making house. But yeah, we pursued what we love. My true love. It's very. I find it very hard to get away from my 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 inspirations, which were like from as a kid which was like b-boy electro early hip-hop funky breaks and i guess sort of dub reggae which is what all the freestyle mm. is about and yes it especially nowadays with the way that music is sold and and, and listened to you're not doing it to make money you're really not it's it's a pure, I'm very fortunate. I'm in a position where I've you know I've got a career out of it, and and people sort of know freestylers and you know kind of what to expect away. But I'm doing it purely as a labour of love, and if it happens, it happens. Um, and that's probably why. And 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 as you said, I've kind of stuck to my guns. Uh, I I I mean I'm, I'm you know not to blow my own trumpet, but I you know I can make a lot of different styles. You know, I can make jungle, I can make house, I can make breakbeats. But yeah, I mean, we've just about to finish a brand new album, and essentially, it is kind of a. Th- I think it's a, a kind of a mi- mashup of our first album, We Rock Hard, and uh, Aurora's Fuck. Yeah, you can saying. say that. I yeah. said it. <laughs> Aurora's Fuck, but um, um, it could be like a comment. So if you comment, it could be called We Fuck Hard. <laughs> that could be the title of the album. But, you're certainly, but, not, you're um, certainly not going for yeah, the front. No, I think what happened, we did release an album a few years ago. We tried to work with someone different to kind of give it a different angle. It didn't quite work out. So I thought, you know what people like, you know, uh, you know, I think if, you know, the hardest thing is being a producer or even a DJ, especially a producer is like getting around sound. What is your signature sound? I definitely think how I put the tracks together, the samples I use, or the sounds we use has its own distinct freestyle. And as you said, as you said at the beginning, it's, it's taken you yeah, yeah. years to get there, and it's a slow burn approach. Um, mm. But 
But yeah, just yeah. Um, just give me a list of all the places you played. You know, the biggest, the biggest countries, the biggest gigs. Just give uh, people a sense oh. of how, where this has taken you over that period. Uh, so in the last, so since about, so it kind of freestylers took off. You know, I have to say commercially viable from about ninety eight. So in that period, we've been to America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Thailand, Bali. Hungary, Germany, Romania, Russia, Italy, Spain, Portugal. Uh, I think Matt went to South Africa once. I've never been there. Um, uh, well, uh, never, actually, you know what? The one place we've never been to was sa- has been South America, ever. Well, never there's, had a a, there's an ambition. Yet, so. I know, yeah. I'd love to go to South America. Never played... Brazil or Mexico or Argentina. These are places I know there's there's a bit of you know some club scene. I'm sure there's place other places of this so, but, but so, uh, so yeah. In in an average year of your life now, we we can say in an average year because you've been doing this with mm. the freestylers for so long for a couple of decades. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. how often are you touring? What do you spend your days doing? How does it how does it fit <clears> in with your? Have you got kids? Have you got kids? Are you uh, kind of settled down with with a family? No, well, I, no, I, I've, I'm sort of at the moment, I've never had kids, never had a wife. So maybe that's helped. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to carry on living but, but, what the dream. Is a dream. What are you doing? Um, what does, what does a, a year, how many times are you touring? How many days okay. are you in the studio? How, um, what's your life like now? Well, the thing is, touring, I mean, the thing is when you say tour, I, I mean, doing a gig, you know, I mean, like, for example, like you'll get a gig, let's say in Spain, but you're there, literally there within 20 you'll fly at friday or saturday and come yeah. back the next day sometimes you're there 24 hours sometimes you're there 12 hours when you do a tour the only time you really do a tour is if you go further afield so you'll do a tour of canada america australia you know that sort yeah. of aspect you can do you know we have done tours <clears throat> you know in the past with the with the freestylers i've banned like round europe on a tour bus so you know you'll be away for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks but that hasn't happened for a while um but uh, you know i mean you know the diary could be a bit busy i mean so i'm hoping that's why i've done a new album and it will reignite even some more interest that will be touring again properly whether it's djing or the live band uh a, a lot more for sort of next year i mean like for this year i think we're going back to australia for well we're going back to australia for christmas and new year I think we're playing Bali. We are playing Bali New Year's Eve. Um, I've got like a couple of dates in Germany coming up next month, and more Spain. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of UK. And how long things go inside? Well, they do. And well, I think, I think this, you know, I think this, yeah. this whole thing might be coming back. I mean, there are the scenes come, mm. the scenes go around, as you say, in cycles. Mm. And how? How? Sorry, go I, mean, on. I was going to say, like, and uh, you know, like the our audience that were now you know like starting university you know around about 98 99 and now you know a lot of them are married with kids so they don't really go mm. raving or anything like that but the thing is i was going to say i think you know like the whole rave culture has become uh more popular again because i guess um parent you know kids uh 
people that were had, you know, they're in their 20s when Raven started. They're now parents. Now their kids might be in their 20s. So they're free up to go back clubbing again. You know, they want to relive their <laughs> well, youth. Yeah, it's so, true. Uh, yeah. It's true. So talking to parents, you know, your parents saw you get into this and you had to kind of like tell them a few tales early on about how, mm, how the exam mm, results mm, were going. Mm. And uh, what do they think mm. now? What's their view on the, on the way your career is? Well, unfortunately, both my parents have passed away now, but my, uh, yeah, it's, it was a lot of a struggle. What did they, what did they think all right, when they had a chance to? What, at what point did they, did they, did they accept it? Was it? Probably, yeah, well, well, um, well, they had to, I was, you know, their only, only child. So they, they kind of accepted it. But when I, when Freestyle for many years, they saw I was like a bit of a no-hoper. But when Freestyle took off and, you know, obviously the top of the pops and I'm traveling here and I've got a live band, it kind of felt yeah, more real. Yeah, yeah, that them. makes sense. Uh, well, it's good that they got to see you on top of the pops. Yeah. I mean, that would have been annoying if that yeah, hadn't yeah. happened, right? That was a, everyone, yeah, understand, yeah, everyone yeah. understands top of the pops. But, uh, yeah, so they were kind of, you know, my, funny enough, my dad used to go to this gym and there was this breakdance crew called Second to None because they lived in Bournemouth. And they were from Bournemouth. And I think my dad met one of the guys and somehow ended up chatting to him. And he's like, thought, oh, my son's favorite. <laughs> you, know? you know, and funny enough, yeah. my <clears throat> So they kind of, but, you know, I don't know, he was still kind of, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, you can go down that route. I mean, you know, a lot of parents kind of, you know, if if they can't see you financially, you know, living, finance, you know, made loads of money from music. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that have made lots of money from music and can stop making music and not have to worry, especially, you know, in the last 10 years, all like DJ fees and, and, and everything have just gone skyrocketing. You know, you get these millionaire DJs. I mean, I mean, someone like probably like Tiesto has been a millionaire or Carl Cox for a long time, even before the explosion, but it just took him just to another you know, level. You, know, you hear these DJ sets, you know, like someone's on a contract for Vegas for 2 million for the year, you know, like Calvin Harris, but fair enough. He's made worldwide chart pop hits, you know, and, uh, it, it, you know, someone like that, but you know, there's some extremely successful underground artists that are extremely wealthy, you know, because lots of people want to, go and see them and even though their music doesn't sell commercially probably doesn't even sell people just like their style yeah. and you Rich, know, Richie, the Richie Horton is, about, is a great yeah. example I think of someone who's just made well or even like someone like Adam yeah Banner, yeah, yeah. Who, you, know, just make, you know like thousands of people go and see this guy and it's just like you know you'll get paid shitloads and yeah but um but but the, so the thing is with the well Richie Horton we got but uh, yeah I mean I've, I guess with my my personal journey in music, I've because I've I don't know because I like so many different styles of music. I kind of I kind of have delved into all these different styles of music. Before I was doing freestylers, I actually lucked in on um, so someone did a, a mashup of some Armand Van Helden track. I think it was like Lisa Stansfield a cappella over an Armand Van Helden remix. I can't remember which one, but anyway, I thought. Oh God. And it was a chart hit. I thought, that is taking the piss. I'm going to do my own It was own Dirty thing. Rotten Scoundrels, wasn't him. it? That's it. And I thought, if you can't beat him, join him. So I, this, I did turn I did turn me out, Kathy Brown, and took the remix of Spin, uh, Spin, Spin, Sugar, not Spin, Spin, Sugar, uh, the CJ Bone and... Uh, ter- yeah, I remember, I, remember, I remember it well. Sugar, Sugar Daddy. Daddy. Sugar right, Daddy. Yeah. Sugar, yeah, yeah, okay. And I mashed them too, and I turn it, called it Turn to Sugar, and it became a massive club hit, mm. and and that kind of, and then I started doing all these remixes uh, to Speed Garage, and I, I, you know, and I did quite well financially out of that. 
Funnily so, enough, funnily uh, enough, yeah. I've interviewed Dan Buick, who was one half of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It might have oh, been the whole okay. thing, I can't remember. Uh, on this very podcast, oh, right, okay. he's now making um, making music in Hollywood. Um, but, uh, oh, right, but, okay. um, but there you go, small world, eh? Um, yeah, yeah. So and, and the thing is, so like, I don't know, like, <clears throat> I've always, I've never been, for me personally, my personal, I've never been into, like, pop music or being involved in pop music. I've always liked the sound of, yeah. the underground i've always liked that sound and lights where have my made my where i've made my career i kind of even if i make something that turn, you know when i'm just doing sketches for tracks if something sounds too poptastic i always like cringe and turn away but no can't do it i don't know maybe i'm too cool for school well you know <laughs> you said earlier on um that music doesn't you know, can't quite get you quite as excited as it did back as a teenager. And I think that's to- mm. totally normal. Mm. I mean, it would be craziness. You- mm. But I don't know if teenagers, like if someone, te- I don't know if kids nowadays are excited, are as excited. Well, it's a weird one, isn't it? I've interviewed, I've interviewed, I've interviewed young it. producers and they're certainly, they're certainly driven, but I think it is different. Mm. But anyway, that's a whole, we could, we could spend an hour, an hour yeah, talking no, about it, just that. Gonna, you know, it, but my, my, my question yeah, is, is yeah. you know, 20 years with freestylers and, and t- 10 years mm. before that in this game. Yeah. Mm. You said at the beginning, you know, your choice was, do I go back to school or do I take this music thing seriously? Mm. Do you ever mm. think there's going to be a time that you want to, uh, you know, in inverted commas, go back to school, do something yeah. different, change, yeah. take a change of tack? Um, or do you think, no, you know, this is, I, I found longevity. I found a way to make this work. I'm still inspired enough. I'm still happy enough. I, there's still something in this for me and I'm going to carry on. What's, what's your thinking on that? Well, well, funny enough, so, you know, some friends of mine are mar- married or haven't seen for a while. I go, oh, do you still love doing a touring? And I say, I, I generally say, I love it. And if I'm not doing it, it's like a, it's like a, a drug, you know? Uh, and I love I love touring. I love like sharing my creativity. I love sharing with uh, with a crowds of people. I might not be the greatest showman, but I just like just showing you know my music and and, and pushing my music, and my creativity. I love making music. I love the whole aspect of music. The only thing that would stop me making music, someone said, well, I'd still do it on the side. Before I made music, I wanted to be a pilot. I'd like to learn to fly planes, so I I, 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 can still learn now. Being a bit older and, and what have you, I still would like to learn. How's your like, How's your vision? Are you still twenty twenty? Can you Can you? Uh, I I got my first reading glasses last year, <laughs> but I, you know I've I've uh, sort of put it off. So I mean I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fifty in December, which I can't believe. But yeah, but I you know only in the last year that I've. Uh, yeah, so but I'm okay. I don't know. I don't. I'm not going to be a fighter pilot. I'm almost too old for that. But, <laughs> you know, just flying little prop planes. Well, I don't know. You know, you get pilots wearing gloves. No, you do. You do. I, I remember, remember my father. Yeah, my but, father yeah. telling me at about 14 when I wanted to be a pilot. He's like, you can't yeah. be a pilot. Your eyes are too bad. And I, I believed him. I have no idea whether it's true. But but um, I, I don't know. I just maybe I'll go into management or something music related i don't know it's hard when you've been doing it and you still got a bug for it i mean yeah so i've been doing it nearly 30 years music and i still i'm addicted to it i still love it i still you know obviously it's had its ups and downs probably more downs but it's how you get you know yourself back up you know the ladder and and uh, and i still have the i still feel like i have the drive for uh 
for doing it. I mean, you know, I would say I'm just about to finish a new Freestyles album. If I didn't want to do it, then I wouldn't have done well, this is album, a, This is a great know. place to round off. Yeah. So I'm going to encourage anyone who's yeah. inspired by your story to listen to any of the five, I think, previous Freestylers albums, all worth a listen. But uh, what's the new album called? When can we expect it? Well, I don't know what it's called yet, but um, hope it'll probably be like my. I'm just waiting for one more song to be finished off, um, and then it's done. A, a, a couple of the tracks have been released before, uh, but I think nowadays, say like a lot of times, tracks get missed because of you know you don't go into record shops and the way that music's played and everything. You know, it's just internet. And sometimes, you know, the logarithms don't allow people hear it, to yeah. hear you get to the link. So anyway, I'll just put it, put it as a, and then, uh, so do, but there's about, so there's going to be 12 tracks plus an intro. Uh, so what, there's like 10 brand new tracks on there. Um, yeah. And uh, as I said, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a combination. I went back to the roots. It's kind of like a combination of uh, the first album and the third album, which probably are, two most successful albums. okay and that's going to be due um, towards the end of the year early probably, 2020 no probably march probably probably march probably march, march 2020 now. so we're recording this in september yeah. 2019 for the yeah, new podcast yeah. people listening at some indeterminate time in the future so yeah you know obviously as soon as it's done i'll post something on our social well you let us know and we'll post it underneath the description of, okay, under the description of the podcast as well for people but you, yeah, you have uh, i mean i'd love to I'd love to put it on vinyl. They're saying, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it'd be nice to have something on vinyl for some collectors. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, one thing even like with DJ, people say, you know, you get these vinyl purists and everything. It's just like, well, yeah, it was all right. You know, I mean, it was a lot of sore shoulders and stuff and banging people with their boxes to get across to the DJ booth. I love the fact that I can just go around the world with a USB stick and some headphones, and just, it's the best. Yeah, thing well, ever, you, you know? don't have to. You don't have I'm to. Not, I'm not really convince us. It's in our name, fun. Digital DJ yeah. Tips. It's like uh, it's yeah. um, I, it's the way forward, and it's not it's not going back to vinyl, whatever anyone says. It's kind of. I, I, I love you know like still our sample of vinyl. Um, if I've got the track, uh, you know, and I've still I've kept all my records. I haven't sold any of my records. Wow, well done. My record. Um, and yeah, you know, and it, it's good. I have these bursts of where I just go and listen to my records and stuff. And yeah. Um, cause the thing is like with YouTube, it's okay. And, 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 it, and it's good cause it brings up track. I don't know you might look for, I don't know, like for a Stevie Wonder record or whatever, and it'll come up with a loaded Stevie Wonder. You listen to that and it'll do other suggestions, but I know I'm like one of these old school. I like going to the supermarket and buying stuff there in you know, in the physical form rather than looking online because you might forget stuff looking online. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Well, it's, I think it, it <laughs> affects our generation. We were we were the last generation yeah, brought up with, yeah. you know, no internet. So. But even, even how I DJ, although I've got it on like the CDJs, I still DJ like as if like the, the style of it is still like as if I'm on vinyl. So I, I don't really use the cue points. Gotcha, like yeah. That. And you I mean, kind of throw the, throw the tracks in instead like, of pressing play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really prep it. I mean, obviously, I listen to the tracks, but I still I, – I just put the tracks in my record box and I play it like as if and, – and the style of even where I'm cutting the tracks up is still like on vinyl. Awesome. So, well, there you go. Full, that, Absolutely full yeah. circle, right back to the beginning. Uh, and a, a good place to, to round off. Aston, thank, thank you okay. very much for your time here on Tales from the Dance Floor. Yeah, brilliant. I, I hope, I hope I gave enough information. Oh, I think you gave more than enough information. And I think you've given a, a lesson in longevity for anyone who uh, mm. who's kind of like 
maybe been doing this for 18 months and uh, I'm thinking, yeah. God, can I do it for another 18? Just, just, yeah, just believe in what you're doing is the right way. I mean, obviously, the thing is, you know, a, a bit like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a singer or a producer or a DJ, you know, there are, and, and I know it's horrible, but there are a lot of disillusioned people out there that think they're better than they are. Mm. You know, rappers and everything, but, you know, there has to be a decision where, oh, if you get a little glimpse of something, if if you're just struggling for like ages and nothing's happening, then obviously you haven't had, unfortunately, it's one of those things. Maybe you just don't have what it takes, you know? So a bit of uh, a bit of realism might, might be called for. <laughs> yeah. Be a realist, be a realist as well, Mate. you know? I mean, I said, sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I think I was. I knew I had an aptitude to it, but I guess because I was at the beginning, I was there at the beginning of the whole birth of like the UK dance music culture, you know, like the birth of, you know, clubbing and everything in England, uh, you know, the club scene in England uh, and the rave scene in England. And I was making tunes at the time. So like everyone was like a bit of a family and everyone didn't know what they were doing. It was just like a bit of a, you know, a free yeah, film. It, whereas now it's quite contrived. It's, it's you know, prob probably never going to happen again as well. Uh, no, it's not. So, Aston, thank you very much for your time today. It's been awesome talking to you. We, we appreciate Brilliant. it. Thank, thank you for you. being on the podcast and uh, the best of luck with the new album. Brilliant. Thanks Bye. very much.